Our sermon text is Jonah chapter 3, verse 10 through the end of the book, 4:11. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat, in, he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm and attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray again, shall we? Father, it would be exceedingly helpful for each of us if you would grant us eyes to see and ears to hear. Um, No communicator is gifted enough to communicate your word effectively unless you're at work in the minds and hearts of the people hearing it, and that includes the preacher. And so I pray this morning that the book of Jonah would walk into our lives in an effectual way. And I pray this to the glory of your son in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to tell you what we're going to do today and then what we're going to do next week so that you have kind of an understanding. We're going to finish the text of Jonah today, uh, which will take us through the end of the book. And then the next week, The way we'll start is I'll do about a five-minute review and overview of the book of Jonah. Normally, I'll give it a sermon, but in in four chapters, I I think I can handle it in fairly short order. And then we're going to do an introduction to the next book that we're uh, looking at, which will be the book of Amos. And so for next week, it would be helpful for you if you have your map and if you had the timeline chart that we gave out at the beginning of the study of Jonah. If you don't have those and you want those, they're on the bottom shelf on the cart in the back where you pick up your hymnals and those kinds of things because we'll do a little background and review of the book of Amos. It was a little tricky. I'll tell you why we're doing Amos next week. Amos and Hosea are written at the same time, but I've I've selected Amos and I'll tell you the reason for that next week and uh, we'll go from there. But we're going to conclude Jonah this morning. And Jonah is a, uh, a fascinating book. We know the story. And throughout the study, I have asked 
two particular questions, one of which I've tried to answer throughout the study, and, and that question is, why did Jonah hate the Ninevites so much um, that he wanted to flee God's presence and go to Tarshish so that he didn't have to go into their presence and give them the message of God's word? And I've answered that in part throughout the study, and I've made suggestions uh, like the fact that, that, you know, he just flat didn't like Gentiles and he had a historical experience with the people from Assyria that came a generation before uh, Jonah and so on and so forth. But we're going to have the quintessential answer today. So that question will be answered for you from the text. And then the second question that I've really wrestled with is, how does the book of Jonah walk into my life? Um, and here's what I mean by that. Throughout the study, there are a lot of general things that we could say and apply to ourselves personally that we've learned about the character of God. Uh, for example, and I'm not being silly when I say this, these are important lessons. You don't run from God because you can't get away and it's not going to happen. And that's not an unimportant lesson to learn. Uh, another thing to, that we have learned in a general fashion is that God is concerned with the pagan nations and he wants his word to go to those nations and that word will get there despite any obstacle that may present itself, including the deliverer of that message. And that's also an extraordinarily important uh, lesson. Uh, we could say that we uh, obviously see uh, uh, miracles taking place in the book of Jonah. So we see the power and the, the eternality of God. He can have a grand fish swallow a man and a plant comes up overnight that provides shade. And so we learn about the character of God. But I don't relate to a pagan nation in the sense that I don't offer sacrifices to idols and, and I'm not tempted to offer my children as sacrifices like the Assyrians did. And, and so they're a little bit out of my realm of, uh, you know, experience. Um, I, I, Jonah is, is a tricky bit of business because I've never hated somebody so much that I felt the temptation to flee from God. You, you know what I'm saying? And, and so I, I, it's been a tricky bit of business for me. You know, how do I relate to Jonah and where does this fit into my life personally and, and so on and so forth. And so maybe, maybe we'll have some answers for that at the end of the story as well. So if you haven't been with us, let me just uh, review at least what took place last week. Jonah, after having been uh, vomited up by the fish, uh, is charged by God to go back to, or not go back to, but go to the city of Nineveh again. Nineveh at the time was the capital of Assyria. Um, you know, bad people all the way around. They admitted they were evil. And Jonah delivered the message that God wanted him to deliver. Five Hebrew words, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. It was a message of judgment. And the people of the city from the king down repented. 
repented to the point where the king covered himself in sackcloth and sat in ashes and sent out an edict to the city telling the people they needed to do the same thing, that they needed to fast for a day, not even drink water for a day, and they needed to cover their cattle and their livestock in sackcloth and ashes and not allow them to drink water either. And the, and the king said in verse 9 of chapter 3, Who knows? Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Who knows? Who knows? He didn't have a guarantee. He wasn't expecting God to relent, but they had a real season of repentance as a city in an extraordinary way. In response to this, the verse that we skipped last week in chapter 3 says this, verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do that. So that's where we are today. God's word got delivered to an evil people. The people admitted that they were evil. They repented, and God relented. And now we turn to Jonah's response. We know from the beginning of the book, Jonah didn't like these people at all. He not only didn't like these people, he fled from the presence of the Lord. Jonah says, or it says in the text of Jonah, chapter 4, verse 1, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Uh, displeased exceedingly is, a, is an interesting phrase. T to say he was cranky was, is a, a, a great understatement. Um, in, in, in Hebrew, it carries a lot of ideas, but it's a miscarriage of justice. And in the mind of someone who would say that, what took place was evil. And as a result of that, he was angry. He he, 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 he doesn't quite say he thought God was evil, but what took place, Jonah is on the verge of saying, is, is evil. It's a miscarriage of justice. He's, he, you know, it, it, would, it, it would be as if you were sitting in a courtroom and a, a murderer who everybody in the world knew was guilty. And the evidence was overly overwhelming that they were guilty. And the judge drops the gavel and says, not guilty, you may go free. And, and if you were the person whose family had been the victim of that crime, that's the response that Jonah had. You see what I mean? I mean, a very strong reaction to God's mercy. That's how much he hated and I, I can't come up with another word, hated God's mercy being shown to these people. And then, in the text, he turns to prayer. And I'm not going to make a joke, but, but this is the attitude with which he went to prayer. You see what I mean? And, and so this is what he prays. Verse 2 and three. 
And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, isn't this what I said when I was in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting of disaster. Both the texts that we read from the bulletin today quote this same text. Exodus 34 and Joel. These, these words are words that Jonah is choosing to quote to God. You see? In, in that passage that we read from Exodus, if you look at the rest of that passage, it talks about God's judgment. And, and, and Jonah liked that part. But, but he didn't like the, you're merciful and you're gracious and you're kind. In other words, here's the real reason why Jonah fled and why he hated the whole operation. He knew that his God was merciful and he knew that if these people repented, God was going to show mercy to them. And he hated the idea of God's mercy toward this people so much that he said, I'm going to flee the presence of God. Now that's tough to relate to. I mean, you know, really and truly. I mean, it's, that's, that's hard to relate to. But his prayer continues. Verse 3, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. I am so distraught over your mercy in this situation that I want to die, and I want you to kill me, Lord. I want you to take my life from me right now because I cannot bear seeing your mercy being bestowed on these people. I mean, this is, this is extreme on, on every level. Um, the freedom to ask God to take your life, the freedom to tell God how angry you are and on the verge of saying that, Lord, what you have done is almost evil. See, Jonah knows that God's mercy and justice are equally right. He, you know, he, he, he knows God has the right to be just and destroy and merciful, but, but for whatever reason in this situation, Jonah told God before he even left his hometown, this is why I'm fleeing, because I don't want your mercy bestowed on these people. And that's his whole prayer. That's really the conclusion of Jonah's dialogue with God as the book comes to an end. But God starts to speak to Jonah in verse 4. God says, and the Lord said, do, do you do well to be this angry? I mean, I mean the question really, um, you know, is your anger justified? Um, do you have the right to be this angry? That, that's the question that is being posed to Jonah. We sit back and we say, man, his anger is really out of proportion, it seems, you know, for the situation. I mean, there, there's not a preacher that I know that cares about God's word 
who, if they saw an entire city repent, couldn't have some joy. I mean, you, even if they were your enemies, you would think, you know, you would think. But here Jonah wants to die when these people repented. And so God says, do, do, are you justified in your anger? Um, and, and Jonah doesn't answer in this question. He does not answer. This is what Jonah does. And, and I'm not going to be humorous at all. And if something comes out funny, it's not, not meant to be that way. The west side of the city of Nineveh was on the Tigris River. Okay? If, if you remember that from your maps. So Jonah goes outside the city on the east side of the city. And he builds himself a lean-to to get out of the shade. I'm sorry, to get out of the sun. I mean, it's hot. I mean, in the middle of the desert, Middle East, that whole scenario. Don't need to paint you a picture there. And, and so it says, Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city and made a booth for himself there. And he sat in it in the shade until he should see what became of the city. Now, isn't that bizarre? That's bizarre because he knows God has shown mercy and favor to the city. And the only thing I can come up with is this that was going through Jonah's brain. And I'm not picking on Jonah. Jonah had this prayer and he had shared with God his immense displeasure and his hatred for this people. And he knew that in Exodus 34, there was both pictures of God, his great mercy and, and his forgiveness and also his justice. And he's hoping that his prayer to God and his exhibition of his anger will change the mind of God again. Okay? So he goes outside the city and he builds a little lean-to and he sits down and he watches the city and he waits. And he waits, hoping that God will now transfer from mercy to judgment instead of from judgment to mercy. This great paradox is going on. And so he, he sits there and, and he waits to see what would be, become of the city. And so then what happens, verse 6, the Lord appoints a plant and, and this plant grows up and it comes up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from discomfort. And so Jonah is exceedingly glad because of the plant. Same word is used. Exceedingly mad in verse 1. Exceedingly glad here. So as mad as he was in verse 1, he is now that happy. So he's almost dancing with joy in his exceeding gladness because a plant grew up to give him shade. Now I think there may be multiple reasons for his gladness. Because number one, it was obviously miraculous because it came up very quickly. And maybe, this is conjecture on my part, Jonah is saying, well, ah, God's favor is being shown to me. God did hear me. Maybe, maybe. So now the watching of the city becomes more intent 
maybe the destruction of Nineveh is coming and this shade for me to watch it in is a sign that that's going to take place. Verse 7, but then the dawn came up with the next day. He was there a long time, see? And God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he thought he would faint, and he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. I think his response here is not just because the sun's so hot, he wants to die. That's not the, the full weight of the response, see? The plant's gone, the shade's gone, so is the favor of God. Ah, maybe, <laughs> maybe God's judgment's not coming after all. And Jonah wants to die again. And Jonah wants to die again. And then God asks another question, and it's almost identical. In verse 9, and God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? In other words, are you, are you, as just, are you justified in being this angry because I killed this plant with a worm? Do you have a reason to be as angry as you're displaying and, and all that anger and all that resentment? And, and Jonah answers this time. He, he actually answers back to God. He says, yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. Same thing he said at the very beginning of the chapter. This is how angry I am that you showed mercy to these people, I'm angry enough now to die. I think there's a combination of things. It's not just that the shade is gone. Jonah is seeing that God is not changing his mind. And so he's angry enough to die. But he's angry that the shade is gone and and verse 10, the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not work, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. You, you pity the plant. But you don't pity Nineveh, that great city. There's that phrase again that we looked last week, that great city, the city that matters to God, among other things. I mean, Nineveh was going to rise up and be an enemy of the northern tribes of Israel in just a couple of generations. But that city mattered to God. And, and, and yet, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also their cattle? These people were as ignorant of me and my ways and my truth as any people on earth, and yet you don't care. But you care about a plant. And the book ends. That's it. That's the whole package on Jonah. And I am left going, 
I don't even know if this guy's saved. I mean, it makes you wonder, doesn't it? I'm not saying he wasn't. I'm just, you know, did Jonah turn around? I, I want chapter 5, see? I want somebody to say, and Jonah came to his senses and repented before the Lord and said, I'm sorry. And yet all we're left with when it comes to the, I mean, you know, people who like to do character studies in the Bible are going to have a lot of work to do on Jonah. Because he's, he's angry and he's bitter and he's resentful and he's petty and he's calloused and he, and he doesn't care. And so, you know, you, you, you end the chapter and the, the tendency can be to say, at least I'm not like Jonah. And then I'll tell you why I started to see myself a little bit. I have never been angry enough with a person that I wanted them dead or I wanted to die if they didn't die. You know, like that kind of thing. And I've never been so angry with a group of people that what I was looking for was fire to rain down on their heads immediately, which seemed to have been Jonah's desire for Nineveh. So I don't, I don't think of myself in that angry, hostile kind of category, but Jonah was also just apathetic. And Jonah was, was petty and and he he did have you know some of those cultural nuances that i don't understand and and those cultural hates and those vices that i don't understand but there are modern equivalents you know so i i thought of two and some of you will understand them and some of you will not but you know during world war 2 when when the nazis took over poland the atrocities there were terrible And if God had put his hand on somebody in Poland and said, I want you to carry my word to the Nazis, that was Jonah, see? It was that kind of tension. Um, right before World War I, when, when the Turks invaded Armenia and put thousands and thousands and thousands to the sword, and then marched them hundreds and thousands of miles across their country to call an Armenian to go to Turkey to give the word of God might lead to fleeting. But, but that's not my experience, you know. But then I got to thinking, and if I was honest, I thought, and I probably should stop recording this, but, you know, Muslims are not, high on my hip parade. When, when I think of them as a people group, I think of them in terms of enemies. I, I mean, I really do. And I thought, I'm not hostile toward them. 
And I may not want the fire to rain down on their heads, but do I want God's word to get to them? Do I want to see repentance in them, or do I just want to see judgment? And it started to get pretty real. Or, or any other group of people that are not my favorite. And then I started to take it even further and said, you know, the, God describes these 120,000 people as people who don't know the right hand from their left hand. They're just ignorant. They're as ignorant as those jungle tribes in the Congo or, or, or in Brazil or, or, you know, wherever else they are. Do I believe that God loves them as much as he loves me. Because in reality, I don't necessarily believe it, but I act like God loves me more. Because I'm, I'm privileged and I, and I have all the rights and I have all the stuff that goes with the demonstration of God's love for me. But if Christ died for sins, for all, he loves them and the people in Iraq or Iran or Afghanistan or any other place in the world that I might at this moment politically think of as my enemy. He loves them as much as he loves me. And am I as small and petty as Jonah? Maybe without the hatred, you know. But I, but I wonder. I wonder. And I think it's worth praying about. The other thing that is really and truly miraculous in the story of Jonah is that God is rich in his mercy and his grace. That he wants his word to go to pagan, evil, filthy people like me, and I hate to say it like you, and he wants us to respond in repentance. And he will be merciful and gracious and kind. And where Jonah was rash and ran away, and exceedingly this and exceedingly that, God is slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, gracious and merciful, and we should give him praise because of that. Let's pray. Father, um, Jonah's a tricky rascal. It certainly makes you greater and bigger and more marvelous because you show mercy to sinners who deserve your judgment. And that includes us, Lord. And you love us exceedingly, but you love the people around the world that I might consider my enemies. And you desire for your word to reach them as much as we have been privileged to hear it here. 
First, let us not take for granted how gracious and merciful you've been to us. But also, may we never, ever be petty or small. May we grow in our understanding of your love for these people and consequently, may our love for them grow as well. May we pray for our enemies. May we pray for those who are what we would almost consider throwaways because how could they be worth anything to you? But your son died for the world. The just for the unjust that you might bring us to God. Oh Lord, how rich in mercy you are. In Christ's name we pray, amen.